0: Let's open with a word of prayer. Our Father, we do thank you for this day and the great privilege we have to come together as the Church of Jesus Christ. Thank you for these believers who desire to hear from your word. I pray that you would guide our minds and our thoughts uh, this morning as we look in again to the book of Daniel. Thank you for what Daniel wrote and the privilege we have to study it. Pray that it would shape the way that we think about not only the ancient world that he writes about, but even our present day world, which is uh, heading towards some of the things that he has written here. And so, Lord, we give you great praise for the blessings of coming together in fellowship and in study and pray that everything we do in this place today would be pleasing to you and bring glory to your name. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this is week number 21 in our study of the book of Daniel. And again, we're over in chapter 7. And chapter 7 is the the vision that God gave to Daniel of five kingdoms that would um, really shape world history. And you remember that um, this is very similar to what to the vision that God gave to King Nebuchadnezzar that we looked at back in chapter 2. I believe they're parallel to one another. And that we've seen four beasts that come up out of the sea. And then Daniel here is told that these four beasts represent four kings that will arise from the earth. And then after that, we saw the Ancient of Days come and be seated on his throne. And this is God coming to be seated for judgment because the books are open and standing before him are myriads and myriads of people who are there for judgment. That's what this scene is all about. And then kind of as an aside almost, there's uh, one of the horns that we've been talking about that was boasting and continued to boast as the Ancient of Days came and was seated on his throne. And so kind of as an aside, he was thrown into the lake of fire and destroyed, it says. The beast was slain, the horn was destroyed and thrown into the lake of fire. So he's killed and done away with. And then after that, we saw the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ coming up to the Ancient of Days and the purpose in him coming there is so that he might be given a kingdom And the the scripture says, this is the kingdom that will last forever. It will endure forever. There will never be another kingdom. So we've got the four kingdoms that arise from the earth and then the divine kingdom that is pictured here in what Daniel has seen. And so Daniel, wanting to know what all this means, walks up to one of the people who are in the vision, a bystander, the scripture says, and ask him what does all this mean and then kind of in real terse and summary form this guy looks at him well this means that four kings will arise from the earth and have kingdoms and then the kingdom will be given to the saints of the highest one which will endure forever and ever and that's all this is and so you know daniel's probably going what i want to know more and so daniel proceeds to ask for more explanation, and that's kind of where we left off last week, that Daniel begins to ask this bystander, I need to know more. I want you to tell me more. And so he does. Um, Actually, what happens is that the vision continues, and more is shown to Daniel. So we'll pick up this morning kind of where we left off last week in verses 19 and 20. And then go forward and see the the more full explanation that's given to Daniel. Now, I'll tell you, today we'll spend a lot of time, most of the time, over in the book of Revelation. Because we've got enough on the table now that I need to show you some things out of Revelation that match what Daniel is seeing here in this vision. So, we're going to spend some time in Revelation today looking at some, some of the details there and then will come back lord willing to daniel and see more and how that matches what we've seen in revelation so i couldn't figure out whether we should go all the way through daniel then go to revelation or go part way through daniel then to revelation then back to daniel so that's what we're going to do okay yes does this continue to be sequential it, in nature yes then, okay. well I think Revelation mostly is chronological, yeah, and in this book of Daniel, what he does is, and we've seen this, um, and Daniel sees things sequentially because he says, I kept looking, meaning I saw this, and then I kept looking, and I saw this, and I kept looking, and I saw that, and we'll see this, all right, and then we've gotten all the way through Jesus Christ taking his throne in a sequential fashion. But from the vision standpoint, Daniel continues to look and see some more detail about the, the Antichrist, the little horn, the 11th horn, because he asked questions. And so God continues to show him more, but we're backtracking. You'll see what I mean as we go through this. right and then he says,
1: Therefore he it right
0: to the next and the next. we see that a lot in the as we yeah and and you can't get everything on the table at once because there's so much and that's why a lot of people think that revelation repeats itself three times i don't see it that way i see it mainly as sequential and we'll talk about that when if the lord wills that we ever get there but um this is clearly sequential because i kept looking And I kept looking, and I kept looking. And he says that, uh, today we'll see it for the sixth time. He says, I kept looking. So, verses 19 and 20 of chapter 7, Daniel speaking. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, and before which three of them fell, namely, that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. Okay, so verse 19, Daniel says almost the exact same thing that he had said back in verse 7, when he described the beast as it came up out of the sea. So he's repeating himself, except for, and we saw this last time, that the beast has claws of um, bronze. Don't see that back in verse 7, so he's given us a little more description. And so the beast, this fourth beast that is dreadful and terrifying, um, kills and destroys most of its enemies with its with his claws and with his teeth, and then those that don't get it that way, it tramples on them. Okay, so this is a, a beast that's not like any of the other beasts, he says. And if we look in the details, and we have, um, the other three beasts are described in animal terms. You remember we had a lion, and we had a bear, and we had a leopard, and then we've got this fourth beast that doesn't look like anything Daniel's seen before. And so he he can't name the animal that it looks like because it doesn't look like any animal that he's seen. So it's different than all the others. Okay, and it's dreadful and terrifying. So in verse 20, Daniel continues and says, I don't want to just know about the beast. I want to know about the ten horns that were on its head. And specifically, I want to know about the eleventh horn that came up among the ten horns. You remember this is what we saw um, back in verses 8 and uh, verse 8 that you had these ten horns, a little horn came up, and before the little horn, three horns were torn out by their roots, meaning they were killed, they were destroyed because of the little horn. It says that it was done before him. So the little horn apparently has something to do with these other three horns being torn out by their roots and so Daniel's confused he doesn't know what all this means he doesn't know why there's 10 horns and then another horn comes up and so he's asking about these things and you'll remember this is the horn that is described as having eyes like a man and a mouth and personally I think that means that this little horn is a man And, you know, before this uh, angel, I believe, this bystander giving Daniel an interpretation, he said these four beasts represent four kings that will arise from the earth. So they're not supernatural. They're people. You know, and we've looked at this. um, I believe that one of the people was Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel served for 60 years and then was follow, followed by Belshazzar and the kingdom fell. And then came Darius and Cyrus, who I believe are these kings also. And then after them came Alexander the Great, that I believe is pictured here. And then after that comes the Roman Empire where you have a sequence of emperors, but always only one supreme emperor. And so those are the people who are represented here by these beasts that come up, or the Kings that arise from the earth. They're not supernatural. I don't believe this little horn is supernatural. I believe it's a man. Uh, he may be indwelt by something that's supernatural, but he himself is just a person. David, as you look at this in through, it appears as though it's in its in this, all the previous four had a clear king and an army, and that was the way that order was structured. Yeah. This is It, it's not invisible, it's visible. Yeah, that's orchestrating. That then ultimately this one little horn rises up out of it and becomes very visible in his role. Yeah, you'll notice that even this verse, verse 20, says that this horn is larger in appearance than any of the others. Now, you look back in verse 8 of this chapter, and it says that he was a little one meaning he's smaller than all the other horns. So this could mean a couple of things. Um, I think you could take it to mean that this horn is young, and then he grows older and becomes more mature, and so he's more visible. That could be one. I think probably better than that is that this horn, when he comes on the scene, is not that significant. He appears just to be another you know, ruler who is not as significant as the other ten, but when the three horns are pulled out by their roots before him, he gains prominence, and he becomes more visible than any of the others. He appears to be larger than any of the others. He's more powerful than any of the others. I think that's probably more likely, but it could be either one. It could be both, that when he comes on the scene, he doesn't seem to be all that powerful, all that significant. You don't pay much attention to him, but then later he's the leader. He is the horn on the beast. Now he's got all these other horns that are with him, and so to see this, maybe to get a better explanation of this, I want to turn over to the book of Revelation because I think Revelation lays out these horns as well as Daniel does, but gives us a little more information about them. And it's, you know, what does this mean that this horn is larger in appearance? Now, I want to do verse 21 before we go to Revelation. That'll be kind of our springboard to get there. So Daniel asks, I want to know more about this fourth beast, and I want to know more about the horns and specifically the little horn. So to answer him, his vision restarts and he gets more. And so in verse 21, he says, and I kept looking. So here you go. This is that kept looking. I'm going to reveal more to you, Daniel, because you asked these questions. And he reveals quite a lot, actually. We won't get to it all today. But he says, thus he said, in verse 21, sorry, I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. Now he, And he leaves it at that that this horn, and he's only talking about one horn here, he says, that horn. So he's talking about the little one that became larger in appearance than all the others. So he's become the most significant one. And that horn was waging war against the saints, and if you add it all in, of the highest one. These are God's people and was overpowering them, meaning he was beating them in war, okay? So that, and, and that's all he says about it. <laughs> so we'll go over into Revelation and begin to match up some of the things that we've seen. And again, there's no best way to do this, so I'm, I want to go to Revelation and show it you, to you, and then come back to Daniel and see how much Daniel is given. So Well, we'll see that. We'll see that. the church oh. and the saints and all the begin to move the people of the world one of the lines you can draw. Yeah, and we'll see that in what I want to show you out of Revelation. And there'll be some things I'll say in Revelation you just have to trust me for, okay? Because we don't have that much time. Um, and later, we'll give full explanation, but uh, I'll show you enough where you can follow the line here. So. Turn over to Revelation 12. So Revelation 12, and this is kind of the introduction to this beast in the book of Revelation. What happens in chapter 11 is a picture of Israel and Satan uh, being thrown down to the earth by the archangel. and trying to go after Israel to catch her and he is unable to because the um, the earth swallows up some of the people and God hides them in the desert for a period of time and so he's enraged and that's where we pick up actually let's read the um sorry and then in 12 yeah, that's where I wanted to go. 12 is where all that that I just said happens. And then at the end, when he can't get Israel, verse 17 of chapter 12. So the dragon was enraged with the woman, that's Israel, and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and, the, and hold to the testimony of Jesus. All right now if you keep the commandments of God, and you hold to the testimony of Jesus, you're a true believer. So these are saints during this time in which all of this in Revelation unfolds. Now, keep going. Verse 13, And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. That's Satan himself. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns, were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Okay, so here's the beast. This is the first appearance of the beast in Revelation. And he comes up out of the sea, just as Daniel's beast did. And he's got ten horns, and then the additional information that John sees and gives to us is that he has seven heads. So Daniel doesn't see that; he just sees that he has ten horns. All right, and so um, we keep looking at what Revelation gives us. Now, um, turn to Revelation seventeen, and we'll see more about who these horns are, and and. Revelation gives it to us explicitly, whereas Daniel does not. And again, I, how to get into this is, is difficult. So, 17, verse 12, and we see these horns again, and specifically the ten horns. The ten horns, seven, Revelation 17, 12, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings. There it is explicitly who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. All right, so these ten horns represent ten kings. And these ten kings are given their kingdoms during the tribulation says they're not kings yet, but they will be kings. So these are kingdoms that we don't see. We don't know who they are. People have arguments and try to make strategies about who they are. Um, But we don't know specifically who they are. And then notice that instead of saying there's an 11th horn, he just calls him the beast. But that's the leader. So the beast has ten horns, and then you have the beast itself. And the beast itself is the Antichrist, and this is most people would call him, and is the one who's leading all the activity here. Now, you keep reading, all right, so you got these ten kings, and they all are united, this is what Andy was saying, in one purpose. They've come together, they're a coalition. They have one purpose together, and that's what um, we just read says in verse 13. They have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. Okay, then skip down a little bit, and just just keep reading this with me. Okay. Um, We'll go right on through 14 of chapter 17. These will wage war against the Lamb. There's the war that we just saw. And the Lamb will overcome them in the end because he is the Lord of lords and King of kings and those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So, this beast comes up out of all the nations that are on the earth and becomes the prominent one. And with him are 10 other nations, kings, join with him. And then you keep going. And the 10 horns, verse 16, which you saw, and the beast, so there they are distinct, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh. And will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts. To execute his purpose. By having a common purpose. And by giving their kingdom to the beast. Until the words of God. Will be fulfilled. The woman whom you saw. Is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Okay. Confusing right? So these. The purpose that they have in common, is to destroy this harlot. And this is where you have to just trust me. This harlot is the city of Babylon, which is the seat of immorality and blasphemy on the earth. That's what it represents earlier in this chapter. And now God has put it in their mind. You notice that here, right? To have one purpose. So while these men are acting volitionally. While they're doing what they want to do. While they join together to wage war. They're doing so because God is orchestrating what is going on. They don't do it outside of the sovereign will of God. God actually puts it in their mind to do these things. So you have men acting volitionally. Waging war against the harlot and against the saints, doing what they want to do, strategizing and overpowering, and yet they do it as God orchestrates and is sovereign over all that they do. And that's always been true. We saw that with Nebuchadnezzar. God used Nebuchadnezzar to destroy Jerusalem to pronounce judgment on them and then later use the Medes and the Persians to take over Babylon to punish them for destroying Jerusalem, which God wanted them to do. So can you absolutely, totally understand how that works? No, I can't. But I know this that all of this is happening under the sovereign rule of God, according to the plan of God, and yet men are doing what they want to do. They're acting volitionally. But they're acting on things that God put in their mind. Now, the strange thing here, this is the Antichrist and all the ten kings who give him their authority. You see that, right? Three of them he takes by destroying them, pulling them out by their roots. We don't see that in Revelation, but we see it in Daniel. And the other seven say, oh, we'll give him our, our thrones also, so he won't destroy us. And so they all give their power. So now you've got those ten nations all giving their leadership to the beast, the Antichrist. And then the very strange thing here is that the Antichrist is the one who destroys the harlot, who is the seat of all blasphemies and all immorality on the planet that's going on everywhere on the planet. You notice that this harlot is, um, he says it there in the last verse, 18, the woman, and the reason I call her a harlot is because earlier in the chapter, she's called a harlot. The woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So all the kings, it's not that she's the ruler of the whole earth. It's that they all follow her in her immorality, in her blasphemies. That's why she's over all the kings of the earth. So the whole earth is consumed with this at this time. And yet the Antichrist, the one who we think is the evil one, comes and destroys her. So you go, why would he do that? Well, he does it because God puts it in his mind to do it, right? That's what we just saw, that God puts it in their mind because God wants to judge the harlot, and he does so with the Antichrist. But then you have to have a, a natural reason. Also, this is a man. He's leading a great, fierce army. He's wreaking havoc. And he destroys the seed of immorality. Now, why would he do that? There's a very interesting underlying natural reason that has been well published over time. If You see some of it unfolding in the South China Sea right now, which is one of the largest rollouts of the border. Right. Yeah, you gotta have you gotta have oil to run their machinery. the machinery. For, for right. And now it's clear that God puts this in their mind and that they destroy the harlot. But the reason I believe and you don't have to go with me here, but this is what I believe. You think about all the religions of the world. And you can name them. They're all opposed, at least in name, to immorality and blasphemy. All of them. I mean, no, no religion supports blasphemy and immorality. So, I believe, and you've got to remember that with this beast is um, the false prophet, who is causing the whole earth, we'll see it in just a second here, to worship this beast. So there is religion going on here. And so part of the motive of the Antichrist posing as a religious leader and a military leader is to destroy the immorality and the blasphemy, to do away with it, because he he is opposed to it, in name at least, He wants the glory for himself. That's who he wants them to worship. And so you have to do away with anything that would deter from that. And that would be the immorality and the harlotry that goes on here. And so I think one of the reasons, and you can see this today, that there are people who destroy other people, who kill other people in the name of religion. And they've, and that's nothing new, right? I mean, during the Crusades, there was great evil done, people destroyed, kingdoms put down in the name of religion by people who were not religious. So this is nothing new, and I think that's the same thing that's going on here. Well, I think it's your picture exactly that the Islam tried to cleanse the land of the impurities for their religion. Right. Name in name and try to purify the of all of Islam right and that is what's been going back and that's the war that's been raging for 500 years longer and I think that's what's going on here and if you're true to Allah and Islam you have to kill those who are opposed to your religion doesn't go there immediately, but in the end, that's where you wind up. And so, I think that's what's going on here. This is a religious cleansing in name to destroy the harlot and get rid of the immorality on the earth, in name. And so this is why, I mean, why else would the Antichrist destroy the one who's leading all the blasphemy and immorality on the planet because of what he poses to be. One of the, it's a bit of an interesting line in the ointment, but I think you know the Quran itself actually speaks of the Virgin Mary. Sure. Yeah, and there would be some who believe that ultimately those two will join. I don't disagree with that at all. Um, it makes perfect sense, and we see more and more of that today. And, I mean, if you, if you just go and read and study um, some of the saints, even recent saints out of the Catholic Church, you'll see an ascent to Allah and to the um way of worship of of those who are Islam you'll you'll see it i mean it's not like it's un- hard to co- uncover just go and read about mother teresa and look at the art that is on the vatican walls and is all islamic and so it's not that they've been trying to cover it up large ecumenical out right iron and clay will get right yeah, and so I think that's what's going on here. Now, I'm not telling you that this Antichrist is, is Muslim, but I'm also not telling you he's not, okay, because the, the judge is out on that, but we'll get in more of that later. Um, is that a possibility? If I don't know if you've ever done this. you can It's pretty easy to do. Go and study... Islamic eschatology, and you'll see Jesus Christ in their eschatology. Jesus Christ, uh, they believe, was never killed. He was taken to heaven by God before he could be killed, and that he comes back in the last days to support the Mahdi, who is their leader in the last days, to tell people who are Christians that they should not be worshiping him. They should be worshiping the Mahdi because he is not really the savior of the world. That's their eschatology. And those who will not agree with him, he will kill. This is Jesus Christ. This is their picture of who Jesus Christ is. It's in their eschatology. You can, you can go read it for yourself. I did a study on the eschatology of the Islam, Islamic faith, and it's astounding. And we'll talk about it when we get to Revelation because it's the exact opposite. It's, it's revelation turned on its head. MacArthur does a wonderful job. Yeah, he does. You want to to his sermon on Mark 13? Yeah. He parallels these two in a compressed period of time. This will make the air stay on their arms. It's an astounding sermon because he is able to compress it all into one... one very coherent and fluid speech. I mean, it's it's astounding. Um, Okay. (laughs) So, back to where we're at, you see that um, the Antichrist, the beast, who is the tenth horn, eleventh horn, um, destroys the harlot. Now, I want to go back and look at some of the other things in Revelation. Revelation. Okay, look, well, you remember out of Daniel chapter 7 and verse 21 where it says, and the horn was waging war against the saints and overpowering them. Right? So look at Revelation chapter 12 again, back where where we were, but we're going to go a little further this time. And so we... In 1217, we had the dragon enraged. And, since, and and by the way, at this time, the dragon has been thrown to the earth. Um, I should have picked out where I could show you that in just a second. Um, yeah, I just don't see it. Um, he's thrown to the earth, so the realm of Satan is limited In these last days, I mean, today he can go before the throne of God and accuse the saints. That's what the scriptures say. But in this day, he's thrown to the earth, meaning his realm is limited. And so he's enraged. He goes after Israel, can't get her. So then he's going to go after the Christians. And the beast comes up out of the water. And we see him with his ten horns and ten diadems and all of that, and then we keep going. And I'm just gonna read this, because it says, it says it better than I can. Verse three of chapter 13. Well, let's, let's start at two, because we didn't read that. 13:2. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like a, the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. Now you see why he's different than the others, right? He looks like multiple beasts. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. This is the Satan falsifying, the killing Of the Antichrist and him coming back to life, which is why the whole earth then begins to worship him. Is crucifixion false, is what this is. This is always the scheme of Satan is to falsify that which is true. You keep going, they worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words, and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. So see here you see the parallel, a mouth that speaks blasphemies and is arrogant. And he opened his mouth and blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name in his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nations was given to him. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. So here you see the beast, waging war against the saints and overcoming them. He's winning the war, apparently. He is destroying, he's killing people on the planet. Now, you go, well, where do these people come from, all these believers in Jesus Christ? Because I believe in the rapture of the church, that all those who believe in Jesus Christ are taken from this earth at the beginning of the tribulation. That's what I believe. At this point, forty-two months here. We're three and a half years into Your, the false peace right after the rapture. And then this begins at, at okay, so if the rapture is true, pre-tribulation, we're now three and a half years into the tribulation. That's when the beast comes and arises. Where do all these people who he's warring against come from? Who are all these believers in Jesus Christ? Would well, 144, the 144,000 are specifically Jewish. Jewish. And the two witnesses there at that time? Okay, this is where the believers come from. You have the two witnesses who are on the earth, prophesying for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. And they're calling people to place faith in Jesus Christ. You also have angels in the midheaven, that means visible, who are calling people to repent and come to God. So there are many people during the tribulation who place faith in Jesus Christ, especially during the first three and a half years. Because there's havoc on the earth. A third of the earth, of the population of the earth, are killed. And then a third of the remaining third are killed. So you have half the people on the planet, something today which would be like three and a half billion people who are killed by natural cataclysmic events. Somewhat natural. And... You have to remember that if the church is taken, there's a lot of people on the earth who will have heard the gospel, but not yet have believed, who will have heard what I'm saying to you today about Daniel and Revelation, and then see it in living color, and then place faith in Jesus Christ because it was all true. And they see it before their eyes. And then you've got the two witnesses and you've got the angels in the midheaven calling people to place faith in Jesus Christ. And so people do. And because of that, they lose their lives. Scores of them lose their lives during the tribulation. Most of them, I believe, lose their life. Look over in Revelation chapter 7. And here's a picture Of the throne of God and this is right after the 144,000 that you mentioned and so this is a picture it's an interlude it's uh, um, while this was going on this exists and so verse 9 of chapter 7 and these things after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, now this is the key, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. So these are true believers that are in heaven, wearing white robes, worshiping God. Okay, so they're true believers. And they were saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Ask him a question. Ask John a question. These who are clothed in white robes, who are they and where have they come from? And John goes, I don't have a clue. And I said to him, my Lord, you know, meaning I don't know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb the scores of people that no one could number come out of the tribulation. They're killed during the tribulation. Most of them are killed by the Antichrist because they place faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation and do not give up their faith. And so for that, they're killed. This is not the way you hear Revelation taught, right? Nobody says this. The world's gone crazy. The Holy Spirit's been removed. No one believes in Jesus Christ. No. This is not what Revelation says. Revelation says you have scores of people who worship God and come out of the tribulation. They're killed during the tribulation. Why? Because the horn is overpowering them. He's waging war and he's winning seemingly... Now, this is exactly scary to think about this. This is exactly what God wants to happen. And how do I know that? Look and go back to chapter six of Revelation and look at beginning in verse nine. This is the fifth seal on the scroll that's broken open. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. This is pre-tribulation, all the martyrs who have been killed because of their faith in God and in Jesus Christ. And they cried, these are those who have been killed, out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood known those who dwell on the earth, and the answer is a surprise. And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. It's God's plan that saints be killed and martyred during the tribulation and go to stand before the throne and worship him. That's God's plan for them. That's what he says right here. This is all under the ordained plan of God that is happening here that we see. Now, I told you we'd spend most of our time in Revelation. Just run back to Daniel, chapter 7, just so we can Is, all right, n- notice what he said. The unregenerate church, those who are in the church, who falsify belief, they even may think they're true believers but aren't because okay. they've been duped because they've heard a gospel that's not true. And they walk right into a worldwide three and a half years of peace and praising Israel and Christianity and all this And God. worship in the temple. In Jerusalem, that gets rebuilt during that time. With that kind of piece of safety, what are they all going to do? Right. Going to make themselves all very visible. Yeah. Yeah, so they can then be killed by the Antichrist. Yeah, it's sort of like what we see. It's not the same, I understand that, going on in Afghanistan today. All those people became visible who supported the U.S., and now they're being killed because they know who they are, because they were visible. Right? Sure. So it's not the same, okay? This is much worse. But there's a little picture of it. It is. it is. It is the schemes, and it all stays the same. So back in Daniel, where we took our leap from Daniel chapter 7 in verse... Um, 21 we've seen he kept looking and the horn was waging war and overpowering them and we see it in spades in revelation but but then you have verse 22 and i just want to read it and then we'll talk about it next time if the lord wills until the ancient of days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom that's the end that's the end game that's where revelation leads to that's where daniel leads to so it's not hopelessness it's full of hope because in the end god reigns and the saints take the kingdom Yes. Between those two verses it's the entirety of what you were just reading from Right. From Revelation. Right. And and we still and I'm not gonna give up on this, we still have to reconcile. How can the fourth beast exist in the Roman Empire and be there at the end times? How does that happen? It's coming future. Thanks for your time.